Hello, everyone. I'm Abhijat Saraswath, and you're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a show where I discuss the future of the legal profession with practitioners, thinkers, and innovators. The future is, of course, a topic that's becoming more important than ever, especially in these turbulent times. And I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It can include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. Emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Fringe Legal. I'm so excited today for our conversation with Ilani. Ilani is a leader in building high-growth startups through streamlined operations. After earning her master's from King's College London and serving more than two years at the Peace Corps, Ilani spent almost a decade helping emerging tech companies develop, optimize, and scale their operations, marketing, and the people processes. Ilani is now the Venture Program Manager at MDR Lab, a topic we will be digging into from all sorts of different angles. Ilani, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. We had a quick chat, I think Mm -hmm. probably a month ago now, and I mentioned to a couple of friends and colleagues and people in the legal industry, and they are eager to hear your thoughts about what's going on at MDR Lab, because it is something that a lot of people are talking about. I guess that may be a good place to start. For those that don't know what MDR Lab is, could you just give a bit more of an introduction to what it is, maybe how it formed and what the overall thesis for it might be? Yeah, absolutely. So MDR Lab, we really aim to be the home of early stage legal tech. We started three years ago now in 20. And it was really to work with companies that had an idea or or rather an early product, but they were looking to have a friendly environment to grow and test that out in. So we ran this accelerator program really successfully for about three years. Since then, we've been thinking about how we can make a a bigger impact in the legal tech ecosystem. So currently what the lab is, it's three different arms. We've retained our our program arm. So we still run that accelerator program I mentioned, and we call it Improve. We now also run an earlier stage program. So for founders at ideation stage, and that program is called Launch. So that's the programmatic arm. We also have two other arms and, and the other is Investment. So we look at making standalone investments into early stage legal tech companies, and we've made one of those so far. And we are also building our own legal tech companies in-house. So we've partnered with an organization called Founders Factory, and we actually have our own venture studio. So the the three ways that MDR Lab is now operating is through our, our programs, investments, and venture building. That's awesome. And we'll, we'll dig into some of those bits for sure. And you, when did you join? Because you've not been there for three years, right? I have not been there for three years. Pandemic time, it's hard to keep track of. But I joined in um, September of 2020. So I've been there now for just about seven months. I help execute on the the strategy of building out the lab from that initial program to being a much broader, a broader strategy. 
Okay. And uh, as you were describing the different arms, I suppose, my mind went to an article I read yesterday. It was in the lawyer, the daily news bulletin called The Horizon, and it Mm. talked about build versus buy, right? This Mm. constant push-pull debate of what do you do? And one of the things I took away from that was ultimately the question comes down to which gives you the biggest return on your investment. And based on just how you're describing that, mm-hmm. it seems like you're almost taking a bite out of both, both sides of the pie. You're building and buying. <laughs> I think that's completely fair. Uh, we're hedging our bets. Part of why um, we developed these three different arms is to diversify our investment strategy. Ultimately, the lab is a vehicle or an experiment to find really interesting investments. Even though the lab is very founder focused, what our reason is to find investments for the firm. Yeah. And so how do you think about those investments? How do you decide? And maybe if you wouldn't mind, maybe we can briefly touch on the improved, the accelerator part of it, since you've had a couple of graduates from that now. So historically or now, what's been the factor that allows you to say, let's try and get these types of companies or businesses to be part of the accelerator? Yeah, that's a great question. To to speak to our more traditional program, that improved program that we've run for for several years, it's been a combination of of factors. First, we look at two real things. One is what's the team like? What's the market like that they're operating in? Do we see growth? What's the competition like? So I think we look at the same factors that any other venture firm would look into. We take all of those into consideration. What makes, so that's That's first and foremost what we're looking at. But I think what makes our program different is we also look for companies that we could potentially become customers of. So we bring in typically B2B SaaS companies into the firm for 12 weeks. And that value add that we bring is we give you unparalleled access to your users for 12 weeks to really help you drill down on product market fit. And and also what we want to show is that we, a lot of VCs talk about the value that they bring, and we actually want to show that we can add value to you and be, be a thought partner and supporter as you're building out your company. So that means on the second part is that we look to see our fee earners are really engaged with what the team is building. So part of it is, is this a good investment? And the other part is, do our fee earners want to spend time on this product? And so if I'm understanding it, most of these companies are, at least for this, the accelerator phase, the improve phase, they yep. already have a product that they're coming to you with. So they, it's not that they're just in the ideation phase, that falls exactly. in the launch aspect. And I love the time constraint of 12 weeks, which yeah. seems like a long time, but it's not. It goes away in, in the blink of an eye. So they're getting essentially feedback from potential customers. And mm-hmm. There's no guarantee that, I guess, Mishcon will become a customer of um, their products. And they're able to just very quickly iterate and improve. And as you said, find that product market fit. So the kinds of companies maybe that they have an idea, they have some indication of we think this will work within the legal market or x market this is a way for them to very quickly evaluate and maybe pivot and adjust from from there exactly exactly and some of the feedback that we've had from our accelerator participants is that they've never seen this level of engagement on a pilot i don't think of the program that we're running as a pilot but because there yeah there's just so much engagement it's really exciting that they're getting the the feedback that they want um, if I have my numbers correct, we've worked with, excluding our most recent cohort, we've worked with 17 companies over the past um, 
previous three cohorts, and we've become customers of seven of them. So it, 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 that's a good conversion rate yeah. in terms of whether or not we'll become a customer. We've made investments in four of those companies. We're all about relationship building. And, and if there's a way to either help you build your product or for a way for us you know, to make sense for us to be on your cap table and invest in you, we'd like to add value where we can. Perfect. I'm just going in order now. That's So yeah. the launch program, that's for early yes. stage ideation so it may be a founder or founders that come to you and exactly. say, hey, we have an idea, think it's going to be amazing. We have a unicorn on our hands. Um, <laughs> let's go. That's, I, I, and for my research, that's newer, right? For MDR. Yes. Um, yes. Have you gone through any, and you don't have to talk about specifics, but have you had individuals, companies, businesses come through that already? Yeah, so actually we're in the process. We kicked off that program um, in January of this year. So we currently have a cohort of, of five individuals for the most part. Yep. with a variety of background and experiences. It's been it's been a lot more experimental, I would say, than our improved program, which has been um, very interesting for us. But yes, these companies come in, or these founders, I should say, because most didn't even have companies when we started contracting right. with them, which was fun to make sure they got them <laughs> set up. But yeah, they had an idea. And for first time, solo founders, which the majority are, it's really tricky. It's really tricky being a founder. And what we've been able to provide them is not just a support system and a community to make bounce ideas off of, but we've also partnered with Founders Factory to deliver a curriculum. So just helping them think about how they're going about their user research, how they're going about product testing, how to put a pitch deck together. We're trying to provide them also with the, the support that they may struggle to get on their own. And how it's broken up is after the first three months of the program, we have an option to invest and they'll go through an investment committee. And then those that proceed, we'll get a lot more access to the firm. And so uh, then it's about drawing in from Mishcon's resources and insights to really help them speed up on their product. And it seems like it's just a crash course into, hey, welcome to being a startup. This is what, you know, this is what it's all about. It's not all just working on product. It's also the business side of things. Completely. I know, and we'll probably touch on Y Combinator in a bit. So for anyone who doesn't know, Y Combinator is an accelerator that's been around for a long time, since 2005, and they are hugely popular, certainly in Silicon Valley, in investing in, I think, thousands of companies by now, and some of probably the companies that people use every single day, like DoorDash and Airbnb mm -hmm. and uh, Coinbase, Dropbox, all of these, many of them went through Y Combinator. One of their requirements used to be is every single startup that comes through Y Combinator needs to have co-founder so even if you're a solo founder they will force you to find a co-founder and uh, they'll help you of course is that something that you are doing or you don't mind right now if you're a solo founder or if you have co-founders yeah i mean at idea stage it didn't seem we we have one team that has a co-founder but for people with ideas um and, and perhaps it's the type of people that we are able to attract with this with this program. They're all solo founders and, you know, they all still seem to be doing the work. So we don't require co-founders. And I spent a lot of time on Twitter looking at um, the conversation around whether or not you need a co-founder. And traditional VCs will tell you, you know, you, you need a co-founder, you need somebody who's technical. I, I think times may be changing. I think there's a lot of no-code products out there that are really speeding up development. I recommend people have a co-founder because I know the mental burden of 
starting a business, but it's not something that we require. Okay. Yeah. And I think that, and I think I've probably read some of the Twitter threads that you have, <laughs> but that's usually the biggest pro in having a co-founder. It's a difficult journey and just having someone who is living and breathing it as much as you are seems to make such a huge difference versus of course you'll have support networks and you can get that support network through MDR and other other places but it's not the same thing as someone who's equally invested in making this work and all the blood sweat and tears that comes from actually the growth stage of a startup or the early stage of a startup the, the, the people that are coming through any of these arms is this all and i'm just making this assumption so i want to clarify is this yeah. all legal tech as we might call it so these are all products for the legal profession or it's you seeing things that have wide-ranging potential use cases yeah, that is a great question. I would say for our Im improved program, especially, we are, we're seeing uh, pure legal tech, so products and services that would, you know, that benefit the practice and business of law. For our launch program, I think we just got a bit more experimental because I, I think you talk to five different people and you'll get five different answers of what legal tech is. And I think that's okay. So we have one company that is coming through and that is that's focused on compliance and HR. So what are the risks in your communications? That's not something you would necessarily think of as legal tech per se. And but we still see it as and we it's maybe not in our traditional wheelhouse, but we think that he's interesting and has is onto something. We have another startup coming through and her mission is to dismantle the billable hour. So again, it's it is legal tech and it's looking at how you turn services into productized units. That is not necessarily like taking on the business model of a law firm. Is not necessarily something you would think of um, coming through? Our, yeah, coming exactly. through our program. So we're, we're seeing a lot of really interesting things. And then the last arm was invest, which we've touched on. And I'm not sure how much you're able to share. So no. I know from the accelerator, you said you invested in four companies. What's that? And maybe this can lead into the, the longer term strategy. So what's the strategy for MDR in terms of investment? Obviously, you like something, you're helping it grow, and you're putting your money where your mouth is and saying that we think there is some, there's some potential for this to become a highly successful business at some point. Are you running this as a a VC type operation, pretty much from an investment point of view, is it different? Yeah, I, I would say that how we are running things is it's like a corporate venture arm. So to just briefly touch on the differences is corporate ventures, they're typically balance sheet investors. So we don't have set aside money that we need to deploy as a traditional VC fund would. We have to make a, a case for our investment as a traditional VC would, but we don't just have a pot of money reserved, which is good and bad. We don't feel the pressure of trying to get money out the door, but every conversation we do have about investment has to be thoroughly vetted, which is why our program arm the traditional way we made investments is because we had the time, we had three months to spend with the company and could really drill down and vet them. We have made our first standalone investment, which I'm not sure we can talk about yet, but we've made an investment outside of our accelerator program. And I would like to see in the future, and I think it is possible for us to be doing more of that. And I'm, I'm confident we'll be doing more of that because it allows us again to find really interesting opportunities that wouldn't necessarily be the right fit for our accelerator program, but would still be really compelling investment opportunities. Yeah, and that makes sense. And 
you're right. There are pros and cons of having just money that you have to just get out the door and but being more thorough as well. And I look forward to seeing in the news at some point in the future what the investment yes. is, the Sandalin investment. That'll be cool. But I'm curious. And- yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, did you want me to talk about the uh, venture studio, the third arm? Yeah, please. That'd be great. Yeah. And then I wanted to then talk about the broader strategy as well. So how are you thinking? But yeah, let's talk about the venture studio as well. Yeah. Just as I mentioned, just briefly on the venture studio, we're also looking at creating our own startups in-house. So one of the ideas that we've been exploring and is very promising is around what the future of flexible working looks like. Again, that isn't something that you would think of as a traditionally legal tech, but if you think about an employment contract and what an employee is, that's very much rooted in legal. More to come soon, but we are looking at a a product that will serve flexible workers and help them better their circumstances. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. And I think that does lead into, uh, I think if you look ahead at the long-term strategy for OMDR Lab, I'm curious what that looks like because there's of course a lot of discussion around the, what will the future of law be like and I, I don't want this to be the sort of armchair speculation but <laughs> yeah. I imagine there is at least a strategy in place that's adjusted as things change rapidly and a couple of the things that I hear a lot about is law firms specifically law firms will need to move away from just being service-oriented businesses to more product-led businesses and I see at least um, from my distant and not involved view that this is one attempt to do can we basically diversify what value that we're bringing to our clients and as a business and potentially this becomes a spin-off and I don't know I'm just making all these things up potentially this becomes a spin-off business in the future because you're finding that the venture arm or the or the improve or the launch arms are so successful that MDR mm-hmm. labbed and just stands up by itself or there's of course that link to the firm Mishkondereya, the firm as well, in both providing guidance and support now to potentially becoming, well, you are now actually a customer of MDR Lab potentially. How how do you think about this? How how does the leadership team think about it? And from your perspective, what does that look like if you're thinking two, three, five, ten years into the future? Yeah, that that is a great question. So the lab was born out of part of that that 10 year strategy where you mentioned what is the future of the law firm and we're convinced that or in my interpretation of what the strategy is is that it isn't it isn't the law firm that you see now so it is providing more of these products and moving away just from services how the firm has done that is through diversifying and offering brand management. And we have a product engineering and legal arm right now. So there's lots of really interesting experiments popping up. And I think that um, speaks to the entrepreneurial nature of Mishkandareya. The lab in itself, it, it plays into that strategy in a couple of different ways. I, one, it's okay, can we, can we turn this into a profitable investment arm of the firm? And But in another way is that we are, we get to play around with the fun tech that's out there. So we are actively looking and scouting for the latest tools because we want to stay ahead of the, the game. We want to be the first at adopting the technology that will help improve um, the performance of the firm. And also, as I mentioned, like we're also building it. You know, yeah. if, if we can't find it, then we look at building it ourselves as well. I think from that perspective, uh, we are very much just looking at opportunities all around us and making sure that we aren't siloed and in, into 
one one way of thinking or another just yeah just reaching out at lots of different opportunities yeah i think that's right and it sounds really fun as well right because you get to have your finger on the pulse of what's happening what's coming what are potentially people talking about or even I guess in the best case scenario, you're actually driving that narrative of this is what you should be talking about because this is what we see as having an impact on the law firm. What are you seeing at the moment that you would potentially class as emerging tech? And it Mm. doesn't have to be for law firms, but this is something I think about quite a lot where one of the questions I get asked a lot is we'd love to hear more about emerging tech. And it's like talking about legal tech. Everyone you speak to will have a different definition of perspective. What's yours? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a great question. First, I'll answer your question, which is what am I seeing? And then I'll answer my own question, which is what am I excited about? So what we're seeing and Also, what I've taken a really keen interest in is online dispute resolution. So we've seen a lot of platforms that are trying to open up access to these lower value claims in a way that would make a law firm like Mishkandrea be able to arbitrate these disputes. It's something that we're still trying to figure out, but given COVID and the pandemic, there's a lot more acceptance to moving things online and and being digital. I, I think that's been a really great opportunity. Looking at the numbers in the UK alone, hundreds of millions of pounds are lost uh, because the value of the claims are just too small and small businesses are having to shut down because the the cost of the litigation and the time it takes to complete, it's just really unfeasible for them. Not only are we looking at this, what is UK law tech is also looking at it. So it's definitely something in my inbox today, I had maybe three ODR platforms reach out as well. So it's something I'm seeing a lot more of, and it's just really interesting. I'm not sure how we make it work yet, but I am really passionate about finding a way to make online dispute resolution something that the firm can engage with. I guess I'm also excited about that as well. I guess personally, trends that I've been exploring and really interested in is the the rise of B2C legal tech. In in the US, I think we're calling it justice tech, but it's a way for people who've been underserved by law. And I think we're all aware of how expensive it is to access legal services and how many people can't do it. I'm seeing a real drive of companies in the US and some in the UK creating products and services that make it easier to represent yourself in court or file for divorce. We have the the trust and wills, but I'm seeing a lot more in this space in in the US and would just love to see more of it in, in the UK as well. That probably goes into the wider meta trend globally of access to justice and improving mm. access to justice and the, the B2C legal tech is absolutely part of that. I'm actually not familiar with how much of a problem it is in the UK. I know it is, but I don't think the, at least to my knowledge, the numbers are as widely circulated where in the US, mm. there's a lot more awareness around it. And it could just be that maybe it's a bigger problem. Of course, the population size in the US is significantly greater. So just by proportions, it'll be greater anyway. So yeah, it's something I'm hearing a lot more about. I haven't seen too many solutions and it, it is a really difficult problem to solve. So I completely get that, but I, at least it's something that's being discussed a lot more frequently. And there's some, there's, I'm not seeing any one or two or three players in the market that are gaining so much traction that they've become the, the de facto, which is probably the way it will be. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say the the companies that I have seen in that space in the UK are still still very small. They're just figuring out how they're going to get to their how they're going to get to their targets. But 
yeah, seeing a really interesting case management platform to help people self-represent in employment tribunals it has been a like, fantastic company. And yeah, I'm starting to see things pick up, which is really exciting. Cool. Just a really random question. Where do you go to, well, to get a sense of what's happening in the market? Where do you get your news information, anything? Oh, um, loads of places. I'm asking for um, <laughs> Yeah, a couple of different ways. I, I think... Well, one, strictly VC, I love to just draw my own connections as to what legal tech is. So I'll just look at where the funding rounds are, as well as Nate's news. I think he has a great, great legal tech newsletter. And then Twitter, I'd have to say. It's, you know, engaging with the conversations there. I have learned more about legal tech and investing than pretty much anywhere else and made good friends off of it, especially then. And Clubhouse, I'd have to say as well. It's engaging people with conversations. And I found Twitter to be probably where I've had the most conversations engaged. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I'm always curious about where people are, where people are going to actually having these conversations. I'm a full Android shop, unfortunately. So I'm oh. house. Uh, but yeah, I said one day. On Twitter one day. Yep. Um, <laughs> awesome. I'm conscious of time. So one, one of the last things I wanted to talk about was the ambition for MDR Lab. And uh, I mentioned Y Combinator YC earlier because in one of our earlier conversations we had, just you and I, I know that was something that you believe that MDR Lab could basically be the, the Y Combinator for legal tech, law tech, or just tech just serving the law firm ecosystem or legal ecosystem. A big part of Y Combinator is the community feel of that, right? Anyone who goes through the accelerator, you have this amazing network now of 2000 plus companies of founders of investors of you know people who are working on cool products ideas whatever it might be how do you manage that with everyone who's gone through and graduated the accelerator at mdr lab what's the yeah how, how do you think about that yeah that that is yeah that's great question i and to be honest we're still trying to figure that out i i think Building a community isn't as easy as people think it is. You can't just have a Slack group and expect great things to happen. Um, what we're trying to do is a, a couple of things. Is one, thinking about what is the brand of the lab? Like, who are we putting ourselves out to be? Because I think that's really important in, in what people want to be associated with. So I want to be known as super approachable. If you have any questions about anything in legal tech, you can always drop me an email, Twitter. I, I I love connecting with founders. So, you know, that that is part of what I want people to recognize with the lab as well. You know, and, and then to speak to how we create a community of people that support each other and alumni that effectively want to give back and communicate and connect. Slack is part of that strategy, of course, but we're just trying to figure out what is the best and natural way for us to communicate with people as well. Is it, is it WhatsApp groups where we check in every so often and have events? Is it, is it that we, and part of it is really manual because we're still young and, and we're not YC yet, but it is thinking about those personal connections and saying, oh, you're working on this problem. I know this person who's working on that problem as well. So a lot of it is just handholding and matchmaking uh, and seeing who's at a similar stage. Uh, to, you know, I think we've had really great success in creating a community with that launch program because they're all solo founders, first-time founders. Uh, and so they have just taken off and we had to do very little to get them to connect with each other outside of the lab. Yeah, um, and I think that's a, big, that's a big challenge for everyone, right? Because it's how do you create those common 
pieces that people can just just gather around and have a conversation from if you or if you're all a founder uh, or a first time founder that's a natural connection point everything else just comes to people start talking and they can all start sharing ideas but as you grow and you get a more diverse population yeah. uh, both experience and what they're doing yeah. and what the skill set is yeah how do you become that connector and it is it's a really difficult thing to sort out yeah completely and then and we do try to model ourselves after YC but yeah like i mentioned it's just core to that is is the brand we're creating but also what where's the value that we're adding to our alumni that makes them want to continue engaging with us. Brian from the CEO of Time by Pig, he is he is a great proponent of the lab. And I think part of that was because of his experience with us as well. So yeah, I can't not, I can't not mention the experience that we give people in the lab that we spend 12 weeks or we spend six months with them. And it's just about that. I, my priorities are nothing but making sure that they have a good experience. You know, I, I think that is key in our, in our strategy of creating a community as well. Yeah. And as you said, the true testament is the experience that people have, because mm-hmm. you probably want at the end of the 12 week to hear unanimous feedback from everyone. It's like, I can't believe this is over. We wish there was another 12 weeks we can have of this because that's where you've had a successful, not just a cohort, but an experience with everyone because they've had so much fun. They've made so much progress. And the fun part is important as well in that journey exactly. because there's, there's plenty of hardship coming up for, uh, for everyone. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, well, if you could have fun doing it, it's, it makes it worthwhile. Exactly. And I, someone from the team caught up with one of our alumni today and he said how much he missed us and just wanted to get on a call. Job done. Mission accomplished. You know. <laughs> yep. uh, I'll go home now. Exactly. Um, exactly. No, it's been awesome talking to you. Thank you so much for going into a lot of detail. I think I would certainly, well, I'll keep abreast of everything that's going on, but maybe we can speak again in, in a few months. I'd love to hear how you shape the brand and what happens, and especially as things start changing. I know there's a whole bunch of things we didn't get to touch on today. I know a lot, a big part of the MDR lab team is focused on data science and using data-driven mm. decision-making into yes. a whole bunch of things. So there's plenty of conversations we can have in the future. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, if people want to connect with you, where should they go? Twitter seems like the place to be. Yep, that's where I am, Twitter. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so I will include your Twitter handle in the show notes as part of this, which people can get at fringeagle.com. So good speaking to you again. Great, great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abhijan Saraswath. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show and Pretty Saraswath is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thank you.